Hey, welcome to another episode of The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Today, I have Dan Ramsey from Natural Order Supply. Hey, thanks for coming, Dan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Chip. Oh, man, I tell you, in these COVID episodes, I'm able to talk to so many more people because, uh, man, we're all just hanging out at home on the Zoom calls anyway, huh? Yeah, there's a lot more uh, those talks just, you know, one-to-one, but not in face, you know, or a bunch of screens at once. Pretty much had to turn off all my video. Audio seems to work for us here at the Real Dirt Studios, but the Zoom videos haven't gone so well. I apologize for any fans out there, any listeners who also have felt the poor quality of production. We're going to try to pick up that. Hey, we're kind of starting it today here with Dan. Dan is a leader in the hemp and cannabis supply industry. He operates a uh, supply store in Grand Junction, Colorado, the Natural Order Supply. And even though uh, Dan sells uh, stuff for all things growing, Dan, you've been focusing on hemp the past several years. That is correct. It's definitely been um, our niche and uh, kind of the specialty where we feel like we've been able to to follow in with a little bit of luck of time and location with just uh, being out here located in Grand Junction, Colorado. There's been a, a lot of hemp since we 2015 out here. And Grand Junction has one of the best climates for growing outdoor cannabis in Colorado. It's really a nice location, you know, just right up from us here in Mesa County. We've got Palisade, which is uh, Colorado's wine country. And, you know, Grand Junction's always at kind of the top for the, the most registered farms in the state or in the country, especially when you look at the counties surrounding us out here between Delta and Garfield mm-hmm. County. It's been a good place to find hemp farmers in a country that had them for so long. Dan, how'd you get involved with hemp? So yeah, we launched a natural order supply from a company called 3C Consulting and then working with some cannabis investors called Green Lion Partners. We launched a natural order supply, which I took over, you know, operations of in 2015. And the first employee I got in natural order supply was the first registered hemp farm out here in the area. So we started talking hemp when there wasn't, you know, no one had closed a sale yet. Just the idea of the excitement. And as you know, the years went on, it seemed like given that like Grand Junction being in Colorado, there's a, a moratorium on high THC. So we don't have any medical or adult use cannabis stores in Grand Junction. So I think it might have been a hotspot given the good climate, the land available, and kind of the lack of other cannabis entrepreneurial opportunities that might have just kind of made it a little hotspot. So pretty quickly, with my goal focusing on wanting to sell to businesses and to farms, there was rumor in 2015 that some of those marijuana entities were coming kind of towards our side of the slope, but we kind of shut down at that time. Every year as it grew, I found this niche in this new community and I, I love the agricultural part of it. And, you know, that combination of what we've learned from growing in closets and how it translates to growing outdoors. Yeah, you know, that side of the state is really responsible for a, a lot of the uh, hemp genetics that are around uh, the country right now. I mean, I believe the wife came from that area cherry blossom all of that stuff came from over there right yep we see a lot of that and it's like abacus has been around here for a long time and it's always interesting though to see some of those genetics in other parts of the state in the country moreover but then it's back in expo days as we travel a little more it seems like there's so many varieties 
it's amazing how each state can find their own little set of new names or different varieties so quickly in this industry. But it is fun to see that some of these original base genetics have, have really made it throughout the country and being grown in different geographic regions and seeing how they're doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I see the cherry and the wife all over. I see it in Maine. I see it in Vermont. I see it in Oregon. I see it Tennessee, Kentucky. You know, they were really the first to hit the market as high CBD hemp products. And uh, over the years, people have been able to do, you know, add on and interbreed with them and develop stuff for their local geography. I've never really liked the way the Colorado cherry or the wife grows. I like vigorous plants. They're a little delicate, but they grow really well for Colorado. They grow really well for Oklahoma and windy areas. They're smaller plants. When people look at an individual plant, they're like, oh, man, what's that plant? But like you look at a field of it, and it's a totally different story. And looking at those genetics, whether they get bigger, kind of stay kind of short and stocky on some of those, um, you know, we're really just harvesting because it becomes such a thing too, you know, like some of those. I love yeah, huge totally. plants. I love it when they set up a hammock between plants. Boy, sometimes harvesting them takes a little while. And when you're looking at 50 acres, 100 acres, all of a sudden trying to get something that can be standardized and mechanized. It's always easier said than done with genetic choice at this stage of the game, which is how reliable we see those genetics in the field, you know, and especially since kind of seeds came to town, you know, it was uh, 2016, 17, even 18. It was really the Clone Wars. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of discussion and sales um, around bulk clones and how to be in more of a nursery than just to grow in a lot of sense. Because when all of a sudden you're starting 10,000, 100,000, million plus plants, which we've worked with, you know, clients who've done all those numbers. And it's, uh, there's just a lot more to consider as you start scaling up from everything about like operational approach to costs. But then you get them out into the field and uh, those clones seem to be pretty consistent. So some of those first fields, I thought we saw more of that predictable growth out there versus, you know, in the last year or so after the farm bill passed in 2018, last year was like seeds were king. You know, there's a handful of people doing at mm-hmm. least out where we are um, just because I think the labor, the operational costs, the uniformity of timing and everything, seeds make sense, but the stability of them is still in process, still in development. Exactly. Yeah. I have many projects, many business projects. Another project I was just to launch this year, but due to COVID and the hemp industry, we haven't quite launched it yet, is a certified seed bank. And it's a seed bank that we've done the prep work ahead of time and certified that all of our vendors have quality product. Because this was a story we heard from people over and over and over and over and over again. That, like they got hermaphrodite seeds. They bought all fem- feminized seeds, but half of them were male or a chunk of them were male or the phenotypes were all over the place or they did perform or they had high THC in them or no THC or no CBD or, or whatever the problem was. And we saw a need in the marketplace. But man, federal hemp bill last year really kind of flooded the market. And then COVID hit here. We just haven't really launched that business yet. I'm going to put it off till next year. COVID and the overproduction in our marketplace. Uh, how's that affected you guys? You know, I wish I could be more like optimistic instead of realistic about what happened. Oh, like, this is the real yeah, part, man. You got to give it real. Mo- yeah, for sure. <laughs> I tell you what, last fall, you know, we that flooded market started flooding and it came pretty hard, you know, that all of a sudden 
these clients, you know, most of the clients in 2019, 18, 17, most, a lot of that product was sold before January. And, you know, we were planning and I was working with clients about their, their new plans for the next year, you know, almost pre-January, you know, just a little bit in December and then we'd get hit the ground running at the new year. But last year, yeah, it got flooded, you know, and I think there's multiple reasons. We just grew so much was grown, like so many acres. You know, when I went to the Texas Hemp Convention this spring, I couldn't walk to another booth and not just be like the amount of flour that was for sale and the amount of biomass that like, you know, everybody, whereas at a lot of those industries trade shows in just a year or two back, you know, you'd walk in and finding people who had raw product for sale in one form or another was a, a step into the industry. And now... It was just like, you know, you could walk 10 booths in a row and have 10 comparisons and everybody's kind of like racing to the bottom or telling you why they're the best. Just not a whole lot of sales. And then once that, I think a lot of people, being that it's a young industry and it's ag, we just kind of sat there and were like, hold on, it'll recover. And that moment of like, just watch the market, which, you know, is probably a good idea for your company at the moment for 2020 is just watching and seeing and learning. So February seemed like it was a pretty... Uh, I mean, it was hard to make sales. I didn't know a whole lot of clients who were making sales. And a lot of times, we're already planning commercial farms at that point with people. And they were wanting to plan. And so we saw a pretty big uh, industry shift, I think, of farmers who stepped out this spring and didn't replant. And then on that same aspect, all of our propagators who do seed production or you clone sales, they uh, just got to that point where they were like, don't worry, sales are going to catch us because there's some, been some pretty good uh, money made in propagation in the last few years in hemp for sure, you know, just selling clones and selling them back east and selling them in state. And it's a pretty lucrative part of the industry too, if you can get that niche. But then this year, just the amount of new farms, there were only a few new farms. Last year, Colorado went from having just under a thousand farms at the turn of the year to having 2,700 registered farmers, 17 new farmers that came, if not more, considering the few that had dropped out the year before. But this year, you know, I think everybody who, when COVID hit, everybody who was on the fence to replant or to start a new farm kind of just got conservative. Oh, I'm going to hold my money. I'm just going to sit back and not do this. So, you know, I think a lot of farmers that I'm working with right now are uh, had genetics going into this year. You know, there wasn't as much of a genetic sourcing as there would be in an average spring of people stepping into the industry. Well, so many so, people just lost their ass to last year so much, and were so on much. the fence, man. Because, I mean, literally, we saw the prices go from the high point of 2019 at $50 a pound for biomass. All the way down to, like, I had someone say they'd take a dollar a pound in January of this year. And they had a million pounds. Those million pounders, though... The issue was they went to the larger extractors and the extractors were like, sure, we'll take a million pounds. And then all these smaller farmers that had been yeah. going to some of these larger ones all of a sudden didn't have that outlet where they're like, hey, at least we can go to them. They're not always giving us the best price, but we could. <laughs> you know, that outlet has been there for the last couple of years from at least the bigger extractors out here on the Western Slope have been able to buy local for the years previous, right. but then having these, all of a sudden someone's like, I produced a million pounds. Nobody produced a million pounds in 2018. Or if they did, yeah. you know, they were on the slide. But 
the idea that that just kind of then turns the market. So, so when somebody's saying, Hey, I'm not only going to sell this for a dollar pound, I'm going to take over the sales that, you know, would often have reached 50 smaller farmers, even, you know what I'm saying? Or something sure. to that nature. Oh yeah. And it was the federal legalization of it, the farm bill that brought like some really professional farmers. And at the same time, a lot of hemp farmers just hit their stride kind of all at the same time. It was really a perfect storm. It was. And, you know, when you look at agriculture, you know, in Colorado, we are definitely like cannabinoid terpene farmers, you know, like we just don't have that infrastructure for grain or fiber. Or just like when you look at going to California or, you know, a heavy agricultural state where they're like, oh, we're just going to do a couple, you know, 700 acres. And you're like, well, 700 acres and 250 acres like in an unestablished market is, that's a lot to produce. Even if it, you have a lot of it not work out perfectly and you learn lessons, you're still going to end up with a lot of product to to move in a young industry. It's an interesting industry because hemp's unlike high THC cannabis, it's like an open market. You can sell it anywhere, you know? You can sell it in gas stations, grocery stores. You can find, if you can find those outlets, you can sell it anywhere. And whereas like marijuana, that fact that what you produce has to be sold in state, in these stores, it keeps it kind of sexy, you know, kind of elusive. And all of a sudden you have to go there to get it. And when you get it, hopefully your bed tender tells you the right thing, you know, and helps push you in the right area so that you get what's going to be the effect you're looking for. You know, as soon as all of a sudden CBD was in every gas station, I was making the joke, they're like, hey, you guys sell CBD here? And they're like, it's next to the Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, even the, the retail outlets inadvertently kind of uh, sell down the value of it. Not meaning to, but just by the lack of education and presentation for a new market that's trying to establish itself, I think, as far as CBD goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, listen, Dan, this is a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we've talked about the uh, farmers and the supply side. I want to talk about what's going on within the consumable side of CBD and hemp. Hey, this is Chip from The Real Dirt. I'm always starting new businesses. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a little addicted to it. And I want to tell you about a new project I've got, uh, Greener Consulting Group. We see so many consultants throughout the industry, and some of them know what they're doing, and some of them don't. But almost no matter what it is, they have one specialty, and uh, they might not have the specialty you need. At Greener Consulting Group, we're a conglomerate of many different consultants all over the country. We have uh, specialties from extraction to municipal advisement to venture capital. You know, we kind of have somebody who is an expert in the industry that can talk to you about whatever your problem. And, you know, mostly we can solve that problem in just a day or two. So, hey, if you got some time, check us out, greenerconsultinggroup.com. Look us up on LinkedIn and Facebook. And uh, yeah, hey, while you're out there, you might as well uh, sign up for The Real Dirt on iTunes. Please subscribe. That's how we get bigger is when you subscribe. Hey, Dan, all of this overproduction on the biomass side, on the flower side of it, how, from your perspective, have you seen it affect the, the end-use products, the, the tapsures, the edibles, the tinctures, the soaps, the shampoos? Is that market increased any? It's luckily that it doesn't seem to fluctuate as much from the price fluctuation we've seen. As this year has continued, we've seen quite a few of those tinctures and uh, topicals and things uh, at least go down a little bit in price to the end consumer. It's, really it's always much, not much, you know, it's a good place to be. 
And I think that's where there's like a little bit of longevity for the smaller, the larger companies that are vertically integrated so that they can actually be getting revenue on the pounds they grow. Once it's like turned into a product. You mean for farmers to make an added value product? I'm saying for farmers and just the whole company as a general. Once you farm it and you like extract it in-house and you have a branded product you can get on a shelf, then all of a sudden there's a little embodied margin there for both the farmer, the extractor, and that retailer, you know, it all because it works together. So I do think it's going to be separated a little bit more just because so much of the industry has been weeded out right now, for a better word to say. But I also think that like people are starting to tone down a little bit of the silliness with the inconsumable products. Maybe I'm wrong, but some of those sillinesses, it just seems like I've got a, a package of like CBD macaroni and cheese. And you're like, who are these people? You know, like where that was. And it seemed like in 2017, if you could think it up and put it into it, CBD had a little bit of a, an MSG oh, I got, face there. I, I have brands with CBD toothpaste and CBD shampoo. They previously made shampoo and toothpaste. And that helps because they already know this niche market. I think that knowing a real niche in CBD is the key. To be like, we sell tinctures that help people who don't feel good is rough. To be like, hey, we work with athletes. We work with toothpaste and people who have mouth. And like, where does CBD fit in the dental industry? It's a niche community. And you find the right people there. It can thrive there, I think. But I think a lot of the companies that came out trying to define their voice and being general have just had a hard time being, you know, in like a CBD shop, just another tincture on the wall, right? You know, use a square bottle. And that's one of the downfalls to the whole industry, too, is that in high THC cannabis and in medical marijuana, medical cannabis, adult use cannabis, a lot of it's vertically integrated. And if it's not vertically integrated, it's in this tight community because you have to have a license of the difficulty, a difficult license in most states other than Oklahoma, where hemp is harder to grow here than high THC cannabis. It's allowed a bunch of co-packers and white label people to come into the marketplace. And that in itself is just like homogenized the marketplace. The same guys making all the tinctures, the same guys making all the edibles, the same guys making all the gummies. And, you know, how are you going to differentiate yourself when you're making the same gummy as a guy across the street? Right. You got the same blockchain as a guy across the street. And I think that's been one of the like downfalls of the industry, even though it's so many people start and progress. I think a lot of those people are going to fall out right now. Because they were co-packers of other products and they hopped on the CBD, make a billion bandwagon. I think we're going to see a resurgence. I think we're going to see more on-farm products, more specifically made products, like you said, more engineered niche products. That's the industry maturing. Yeah, I think so. I think there was a minute where uh, a couple of these companies saw that accelerated growth and pretty quickly were like, hey, we can crank out. You know, they want so much once they build a brand and they're an established company that the, the ability to white label just seemed like the next step. No so all of a sudden we went from being like just a couple white labelers till it's like, you know, MJ BizCon last year was like, you could white label anything, you know, and have a business just like the one three booths down. And I think that, like you said, the market's going to mature quite a bit this year over having some hardships. And we'll see people who are in the industry for real. And when we look at some of those cottage industries, more like craft beer or something and farm raid, you know, like 
you know, I've got a, a company here I work with called Colorado Biodynamics that has a coffee shop in Palisade where they have a consumption lounge. You know, they've got their couple products, but, you know, smokeable flour and their topicals. And they do all these things that are related there. So it really has a niche in the feelings that, you know, it's all interconnected real nicely. And you see that kind of craft feel and mentality that you get, you know, back in the day from craft beer. Sure. Something that we haven't been able to get with uh, craft cannabis or craft high THC cannabis. It's interesting. Well, one, it's always interesting to me how there's so much division over hemp versus high THC. I see it as all one plant. And I know it's hard, but wow, man, hemp has really led the way for high THC in so many ways. And, you know, the products, the consumption lounges, man, the commercial agriculture, the use of plastic culture, the use of aerial spraying with drones, like all that's happened with hemp first instead of high THC. You know, hemp's going to really look at that economies of scale. And as things get bigger, it's like, how do you really turn this in? And the fact that hemp has all these uses, you know, wouldn't that will eventually come to the from the plant. THC, they're niche. They know exactly what they're doing. They're in these and they're in these niche stores that still have a, a pretty nice... So I think when we see federal legalization, you know, we'll see a lot more of these uh, practices being in, from hemp adding to marijuana. But a lot of that has to do with regulations, you know? Like I think a lot of people in marijuana would like to do some types of cultivations that we see with hemp, but based on the square footage they can have, the plants they can have, and state by state, it's just enough that there's no standard. And so once we see that kind of almost race to the bottom of cultivation of what people can do with smokable flour, I project that we'll see a lot of those same strategies just being implemented right into to that high THC platform as well. Yeah, you know, we spoke about Oklahoma. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's one of the only places in the country that you can scale and grow high THC cannabis in the same way that we're seeing people grow hemp. One license, one easy set of regulations, and you can literally grow as much as you want. It's been a testament to how much we've been restricted over research and development. Because, man, like in Colorado, you can only plant so many plants. You can only have so many plants. And metric knows. And metric knows. I mean, we literally just planted 9,500 seeds, 12 different high THC cannabis varieties the other day. And we're, of course, we're phenotracking and keeping track of all of this stuff. But, like, there's no regulations that say we can't do it. And a portion of these seeds, I know they're not going to make it. I'm just growing them for R&D purposes. And in other states, that would be so difficult to do because tracking, keeping, you know, destroying them. People think that you were, you know, trying to sell them on the private market. But here, just the way that they've approached it is just really good for high THC cannabis. We're able to do all this R&D. I want to get this pivot stuff down here. Tons and tons of hoop houses, like field grown, like acres, like you can do all of that here. And you can't do it with hemp here. It's odd thing. As soon as you step out and you start really getting those acres, though, we get that whole new, like, controlled, uncontrolled environment. Things that have come out here from, like, pests we haven't seen because hemp hasn't been planted in a while mm-hmm. to, you know, out in Palisade last year, there was, you just, if you did 
there's a little wine tour bike loop. If you were to like ride your bike around, you'd see 20 different fields and uh, how much it got seeded out. You know, like a lot of people uh, lost, even when we talk about more factors that kind of made 2019 painful for the hemp industry come that harvest was how many harvests I know that were seeded out even before like the early frost. Yeah, stepping outside and all of a sudden getting into, you know, the hoop houses. But once you start planting like acres on pivots, there's a whole little new set of uh, approaches that need to come in to each one of those stages where we've been able to give the plant time and energy that it will take all your time and energy if you don't plant it right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got about an acre under uh, plastic culture. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, you may have seen it. We call it plastic culture, and it's an implement that you run on a, on a tractor, and it creates a, a bed out of natural soil, and then it'll lay down some fertilizer, your irrigation line, and then wrap it in this really thin layer of plastic that acts as a mulch. It's uh, incredibly effective for planting vegetables and weed abatement. It's how like tons of organic foods and vegetables are grown. It really helps with water conservation. I was just in this field this morning and we were, you know, just doing some like, it's only an acre. So we're doing lightly staking it up, you know, in a trellising wine vineyard type of style. Something that you couldn't do in 20 acres. But in an acre, I can do it. But as I'm walking through it, I'm thinking about like, oh, it's time for all of these leaves to be picked off. And it's like, dude, there's no way that's going to happen. And there's no way that I'm going to send people out here to de-leaf. No way I'm sending people out to bottom anything. Weeding has been a big thing because, you know, people love growing these these monster plants and, you know, put them on huge centers. But then all of a sudden, while you're waiting for that plant to, like, cover that area, oh, you're yeah. going to see weeds take over, you know. With your beds, you know, you might have more isolated watering, which is great for lots of reasons, but still just that weeding. And then also, you know, I've actually been talking with people who are trying to figure out some of the answers to like trellising some of these larger fields with a different way of trellising just because of like out here, it's like the wind. Because as soon as you're at the mercy yeah, of, of the weather, it is you're like, oh man, it just needs a stake. Like you're saying, like it needs a little help because little help. you can do so much work, but then it gets to the end where it's got all that weight you want on it. But that fall weather's for real most places. Yeah, here in Oklahoma, it's a diverse weather system. The wind is no joke, that's for sure. You either have to like plant, your canopy density has to be like incredibly thick in order to guard against the wind because the wind will self-prune the plants and keep them smaller here for sure. But if you don't wire them up, string them up, stake them up in some way, like last year we had a half acre field that was literally all growing sideways. It's just growing sideways. I was at a, a farm, a client just the other day where there were a couple of bigger plants that had like ripped up just like the side of the roots and you're like burying them and you're like, oh, this isn't good. But it's like, you know, once you start seeing that, you're like, how does it recover? This is the, the time we wanted stress. But like, yeah, it's like pulling them off. That's a, kind of the next, you know, as we step outdoors, starting to say like, wait, you know, maybe a little bit smaller plant, maybe an auto flower, maybe more densely populated, you know, what's going to get that? raw plant matter per cubic foot type yeah. thing or square foot. And as we kind of start realizing some of these areas 
that it's, it's got to take some trial and error. So it's good to hear like in Oklahoma that they've created an area that's with less regulation and has more ability for that R&D to get out there, at least just from a, a knowledge standpoint of, you know, what what's going to be effective here. Because I can't tell you how many people last year also had a, like a curly beak top virus, you know, came through. And uh, we worked with the, the extension office here at like CSU and, and with so many clients just trying to identify some of these new diseases that we hadn't seen or what we thought it was, you know, and we thought it was the tobacco mosaic virus, thought it was, you know, and you walk down through these and then to the end and you're like, well, and I've seen some, you know, where it's like, it's now hemp mosaic virus. You're like, oh, so it's similar, but you know, they're just things we haven't seen. And it's just such a different approach from growing in, in a controlled environment. Kind of the beauty of it all, though, man, is hemp and cannabis is a new frontier for farming right now. The ability to be able to do research in the area or develop technology, or it's right now is the time for all of that. You know, I always like to say that the learning for agriculture started in like, you know, 10,000 BC. So we've been learning for a long time, you know, like yeah. and all, but like education and transformation of knowledge was so slow, right? Every year it slowly got faster until all of a sudden we got to. As we continued in the 19th century, early on to just like keep pushing hemp aside and marijuana aside, it was like we pushed cannabis out right when technology was really coming in. So now being able to take all this technology we've learned in the last like five decades and start saying, wait, how do we apply this? But we know we don't have to jump all the way back. You know, we can jump right forward with a lot of the, I think one of the things I really enjoy about this industry is that classic, what we can learn from other industries. So many aha moments. It's a great place, man. Definitely not boring, that's for sure. What do you predict is going to happen here this year with the hemp industry? I mean, so many people haven't planted that had in the previous. Some big people planted this year. Some small people did. How do you see what's going on with current cultivation throughout the country? And how do you think it's going to affect the market? So I know in Colorado, there was, as you said, quite a few people who lost their ass, man, and got out of the game. Yeah, I would predict that we have you know, a good half of the market that grew last year in Colorado isn't growing this year. And those who were like, thought they were going to blow it up and do, you know, hundreds of acres are doing 50 acres and people who were doing like, you know, everybody toned way back instead of, and was like, we're going to focus on quality instead of quantity. You know, my big question as far as that is how much uh, reserves do we have as far as like biomass, oil, flour that's like stored in a way that still has, you know, it's all viable so that the market, you know, once harvest gets here in a couple months, most of that biomass, I think, is kind of depending how it was stored. I think there's going to be a bad taste in the mouth for 2019 hemp even. And sometimes people make decisions about with feelings more than mm -hmm. they do. Uh, given that I'm in here, I'd like to project that, you know, 2021, we'll see a completely different situation because we will have like moved through a lot of that inventory and the people who are around are people who aren't here by accident. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, it's going to mature the market for sure. It has already like pushed out to get rich quickers. Completely. And the people who are like willing to put in the, the hustle work and, and find a way when you can't, it's kind of one of those, if you can sell in this market, if the water goes up a little bit, you'll know how to swim, you know? I think there's a lot of potential here. The market's there. You know, those in products are still selling. I just think that like we literally overproduced, whether it was one year or like a year and a half or where. Most people um, can't also, store the product like you were saying. 
most people think that they were like, oh, just hold on to it. I'll hold on to it. I'll hold on to it. But like the product degrades and some of them out there still think they're going to sell their product from last year. And we used to be able to do in the old, good old days, you do more splits. For our audience here, splits are a term we use for co-processors or toll processors where you'll split a percentage of the uh, end product and you provide the biomass. It may be a 50-50 split. It may be a 60-40 split. It may be a 70-30 split. You may be making uh, crude oil or you may be making distillate or isolate or whatever on the split. But uh, basically, I would give my product to an extractor and they just give me back a portion of it in extracted material. Exactly. Well said. But that was a common move, right? Like in the industry here was that people would get their product and they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're going to do this split because, you know, Mm -hmm. when you get especially as a farmer, if you get one paycheck a year, it's pretty run down by the time you get back to October again. And so like shelling out capital to be able to process your material is not something that yeah. people who can't sell it, the idea that they're going to invest more money into this business that they've already found unsuccessful. I think a lot of that material is going to go by the wayside. I know lots of people who are like, oh, I'm a storage shed, you know, with 20,000 pounds of hemp. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. And, but like in 2000, but at that point, And then I think it's going to mature. And, you know, the cannabis industry is always one that loves being your due diligence from a business standpoint. So, you know, as we have more established growers who have more established supply chains that can show that and a more established story that fits the end products, you know, desire for whatever it is they're aiming for, those niches will be defined. And I don't think people are going to walk back in time as much as to buy that old inventory unless they're. But I could be wrong. There's a couple of product, you know, companies out there that are happy to make shit products and just sell them. But I or if you got the secure. technology, if you got technology yep. and you can afford it, because that's that is yep. the thing. But like, the more the biomass degrades, the less material you get out of in the long run, the less extractable material. So the harder it is for people to make you know money on it or make the extraction worth their while. Now it's August. I mean, all the early stuff, all of the auto flower stuff, it's starting to come out right now. Like in the I've next, got all over the country in the next two months, like harvest is here. Yep. I've got clients harvesting this week for autos and you know, they're sitting on product from last year too, but only a few of them, you know, a lot of them. And as I say that the last month has been good for a lot of the clients I've talked to who have been able to move products that have stayed in here, you know, who are probably not as much biomass, but people moving like smokeful flour, moving oil, Delta eight. Mm-hmm. So hot right now. That's so hot right now. That's Delta eight. That's a sticky wicket, but it is. That's for sure. It is. Yeah. But it's just like it kind of, and you know, the cannabis industry, I sometimes say, is a bunch of early adopters, you know, like the whole industry is. Like we're all early adopters of the industry, even our users. So as soon as we come up with a new technology or a cannabinoid, you know, CBG, like I'm interested to see how much CBG is harvested this fall because I know a lot of people that think they planted it out. You know, interestingly, we planted out a bunch of autos for extraction this year, and uh, uh, we just got our first extraction results. And this is a, a, a butane extraction method. It's for the medical market. But we've got 7% CBG in our extracted product, something we're like totally surprised at. The seed producer that gave it to us, I don't think they knew <laughs> or they didn't mention it to me. Right. Yeah. But uh, we saw 19% in the flour that came out of the field. And then that turned into an extracted 69% 
the CBG was, yeah, up at 7.68%. Pretty uh, surprised and impressed. There's a niche market for that, you know? The high pH side, that's great. On the hemp side, the CBG is attractive because it, a lot of those CBG strains don't spike the THC as much. And then there's some regulation coming in this supposedly from the government in November about the way that THC is going to be kind of measured on a, a national level. So, you know, when we're back in good old uh, expo days, I feel which seems like years ago, but we've seen, you know, January, December, there's a real big talk about like, you know, do you really want to grow, you know, these strains that could be a little higher with that risk for getting that yeah. cannabinoid content and uh, just how it's going to be enforced and interpreted. Oh, it's all just started, man. The terpenes, the different cannabinoids. I mean, we're talking about Delta 8 THC right now that's extracted from hemp. And, you know, most people are familiar with Delta 9. And there's just so much research to be had in the coming years. It's just really exciting. You know, uh, necessity is a mother invention. And part of the necessity is farmers trying to figure out like how they can have that special edge, that special niche and be able to be successful in the marketplace. Completely. And that's both to the farmers and the market defining itself and consumers defining what they want. But like I said, I think a lot of it's just early adopters. Everybody's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm right, into it. Right. So can you make a price prediction on price per pound this year? I think I'll shy away from that one. Tell me what you thought the low of the price per pound last year was. I saw people selling for like, I didn't hear that dollar, but $10 a pound was pretty common. And I heard people selling yeah. for like seven stuff. Um, you know, sure, a lot of that sure. price per point of CBD. Explain that. Let's talk about that. Explain what that means. So if you grow a pound of hemp, we test it and it has 10% CBD content, we pay a dollar per point because when we extracted the CBDs with after, so that would be $10 per pound. So if you grew for the molecule. Uh, a plant, yep, for the molecule. And you can get a little bit more technical, but that's, for the most part, the best way to realize that like not all hemp's grown equally. Sometimes people are like, I have a 15%, I have 18%. And so much of what out here, you know, in Colorado, I've seen just a lot more people uh, who are doing, you know, biomass and extraction also really trying to leverage their greenhouses for flour and that, you know, believing in that, that smokable flour market, which is, you know, I've seen $100 a pound up to, you know, like 450 Seven. Yep, mm-hmm. seven. I mean, they go all the way up there. The people I know who have been able to sell seven and those larger ones have established relationships. Primo. Primo. Smokable flour. It is. And that Primo, like, hemp is, like, becoming a real thing, like, getting that next quality. Like, cannabis, the cannabis industry has got a lot of pot snobs in it. Like, that quality is, like, really important. It surprises me to have people being like, I want to evaluate putting, you know, LEDs in my hoop house to you know for this hemp and you're like we just want to get every little you know just trying to find every score the different capital costs to get every little inch closer they can to being on the top of shelf that's cannabis in a nutshell man people ganja farmers cannabis farmers throughout the known universe all have incredible pride in what they do and uh, sometimes their egos get in the way our egos get in the way i'll say and uh you know sometimes you'll find those like really hidden gems that are just incredible you know word to the wise when you see those people with really great 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 cannabis skills just shut up and listen man take some advice in and really listen and see what they're doing and check the ego a little bit at the door. You'll learn a lot, man. You'll grow better. For sure. 
You know, that's uh, one of the things, quite a few clients that'll come to me because we do a lot of like product evaluations and just like little cost benefit analysis stuff to first for clients. And when they come in and we all want to find that quick fix, like, you know, will the LEDs like increase my yield and make it that much better? I'm like, well, not if you mess up the other parts. Like whenever you're growing and you meet somebody who's done it well, you better take pride in it because like a controlled environment, it's like biomimicry. You're, you're mimicking the earth. Like it's a pretty, there's a lot going on here between the temperature, the air, you know, and all of it's changing and dynamic as the plants grow into the humidity at every part of it. And so to be able to move with a plant through the, the phase and uh, control those variables in the way you want to, you know, it's, you probably should shut up and listen to that person, you know? Oh, yeah, man. It's so simple. There's only four pieces of magic that make cannabis grow, and that are genetics, water, soil, and sun. Pretty much like you can manipulate those in many, many ways, but those are the four things you have to have. You need some CO2 well, in there, too. Get that photosynthesis just by the equation. Sure. Not tons. I'm not sure. saying you need it like augmented. I'm just saying like in the like have to happen, though. You've got to uh, have. Oh, it's plants got to photosynthesize. You've got sure. to. But right, um, and whether right, you augment right. the CO two or not, but no, I, like you're saying, there's only these these couple, these only these five kind of like yeah mm -hmm. variables or constraints of sorts. But what's fun about growing is like the plant grows every day. The bigger the roots, the bigger it grows mm -hmm. next day, and it grows exponentially. And like, how does that change oh, what you did last week? And so you know, asking those, and we've got a digital solution we're working on with, that we'll be bringing out here soon with like an app that we're building to try to answer a lot of these questions, but that'll be next oh, year. Great. We'll have to jump, hop on and chat again, you know, about that. But I love those questions. I think that's a really fun part of the growing is the fact that you're like, it's really simple. You're like, yeah, until it changes every day. Yeah, Dan, one of the things that you guys are doing a lot of is education. And you just brought up this app. What we haven't talked about is like your education outreach and, uh, you know, what your plans are in the future for that. Tell me about that, man. Yeah. So as a company, as a person, uh, my ethos has always been real education based, you know, in this industry, tons of it's needed. Last year, as a company, started a monthly event we call um, Here for Hemp. That was just real hemp centric events that... We did monthly where we brought everybody from like the Department of Agriculture to talk about their hemp, what they do when they do a walkthrough. It's like talking about pest control. Or we also brought in like, you know, just parts of the industry of people from like the banking, the insurance side, all those business components that are needed. Because just because you started a farm, that that's you need the whole business behind it as well. And there's uh, so much that can be, you know, gleamed and learned and needs to be done there. So we did that, you know, all the way up until this last February, um, when, when COVID decided like no more events. And, um, but those were in-person events where we had, you know, the last one we did in February was a, a champ event. So that's like Colorado's hemp advancement management plan. But that one, you know, you could actually see a recording of that one on the RUT page at Natural Order Supply or at the, I believe it's posted on the Colorado Department of Agriculture's like note sites, you know, for when they came in and kind of talked a lot about just the process of transport. How do you register? You know, that was a big question actually this last year was, you know, when they pull you over, how do you be like, here's my form that says this is what it is and people believe you. And how does that work when you drive around Colorado to leave Colorado? So we like, you know, as much as we love the cultivation and the the plant, we see the bigger industry as what we're aiming to really make our impact in. So starting in September, we're going to start doing our Here for Hemp events again. 
with um, a webinar series for we're gonna have 10 different uh, cannabis professionals or see professionals from Grand Junction because we work a lot with it we've worked with like the economic department there and different uh, you know like sometimes it's, it's good to get somebody from the fire department to come in or you know depending on what the conversation is we really like to talk about to those city officials and yeah. regulators. But we'll be doing a probably a, a 10 minute local webinar held in our store with 10 person events, since that's about as big as you can blow up events right now. And then having a webinar where we'll be inviting people, you know, such as, like I said, regulators and educators where people will be able to hop on in and join and see both those webinars, which will be posted to our YouTube site, but also if they wanted to be able to hop in and, and join the conversation or apply to come and hang out as one of the 10 people in the store and get some swag, you know. We'd love to help you out with that. Real Dirt has really uh, tried to push uh, uh, many of our interviewees, webinars and educational programs. And, and the only way that we're really going to do better at this cannabis thing, this cannabis life, is to educate ourselves and others about it. Yeah, definitely let's work together and help you get that information out more. Yeah, that'd be great, Chip. We appreciate anything we can. You know, it's amazing what you can learn with the, the World Wide Web, too, when you jump in from mm -hmm. a, a different place. And, you know, I've been hopping on webinars uh, left and right and forgetting about them, too. You know, <laughs> I think the nature of the mm -hmm. COVID world, it's like I sign up on my calendar, but it's just so different than the, the expo world that, you know, I think we're used to in the networking for a company like ours who used to go have booths and, you know, do quite a few yeah. shows. All changing. Exactly. Well, Dan, it's been awesome speaking to you today about hemp, the future of hemp, and, and what's going on with you guys over at uh, Natural Order Supply in Grand Junction. Hey, if our listeners want to get in touch with you or research you more, how, how do they do that? You know, it's pretty straightforward. We're at naturalordersupply.com. That's the same hook for our online, you know, our social platforms as well as natural order supply. And if you go to our website there, you'll see it's all hemp centric. There's an area in the top right button to click to join our next event on our website. Yeah, that's just the best way to, to reach us online is hit us on the website or search for us on, on social. And we're uh, on all those platforms, you know, sharing um, what we're learning, you know, and we, we're real excited to, to step into pushing as much of our education that we have been keeping local. Um, digital this towards the end of this year and all of next year really launching that awesome man well hey that's great dan i hope we hear more from you we want to definitely help you out with some of your webinars and education in the future so uh listeners uh look for more natural order solutions natural order supply webinar hemp webinar with dan ramsey dan thanks for joining me today man i really appreciate it oh thank you chip it's been great all right this is a real dirt thanks guys